This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to the previous episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by Mo Stewart. Mo, how are you getting on, mate? I'm all right, I'm all right. I've been busy. Not quite as busy as Liverpool have been. Uh, it's bad, isn't it? Sometimes we like struggle for um, content, and this time we've got three games to pick over. An embarrassment of riches. Yeah, well, Liverpool have won three games in a row by three goals to one, <laughs> which is quite crazy. Uh, for those who are watching on YouTube, I am currently recording in the Echo office. It's been a while since I've been here, but uh, this could be a, a bit of a regular thing moving forward, potentially, so that's one to keep an eye on, but in terms of Liverpool at the minute, yeah, just rolling on like a bit of a train. Uh, feels like uh, rolling back the clocks a little bit, doesn't it? Going back like a few years when um, every time we record this podcast at one point, we were just winning every single week. Everything was rosy and we just we had no negatives whatsoever to touch on. Um, and we're getting back to that point potentially. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a strange one because I have to admit, I didn't, I wasn't able to watch this game, the Leicester game live. So it was slightly different watching it, knowing the result. But that sense of peril that often was coming, even when we were in the leading games last season, doesn't really feel like it's there anymore. There seems to be, at the moment at least, an inevitability about Liverpool's ability to convert enough chances to win the game, whatever game is in front of them. And yeah, the the kind of... The the 3-1 scorelines are really interesting the way that it's gone. And, I mean, it's technically four if you include the Wolves game. And the timings of the goals are really interesting as well to me. Like, obviously, in three of those four games, we went behind, with the exception of West Ham. But the first goal came on either 55 minutes, 56 minutes, 16 minutes, the one where we went ahead, or 48 minutes. So all around early second half. Then the second goal, the one that put us in the lead, or... Uh, put us back in the lead as it was at West Ham, 85 at Wolves, then 63, 60 and 70. And then the final clinching goal, the one that gave us the actual two-goal lead that our play deserved, 90th minute, 88th minute, 85th minute, 89th minute. So we're not really clinching the game till very late on, but it's feeling like that's always coming pretty much throughout all of those games. Yeah, well, I think we're kind of uh, we're building the confidence again from from a few years back. I think it, there was a point a few years ago where yeah, Liverpool conceded first. I felt so relaxed <laughs> and so confident that like oh, it'll be fine. We'll we'll find a way back into this. Don't worry about these. Um, and we're kind of getting back towards that. And I think you know if, if we're going to touch on on last night's performance, we are we are recording today on the Thursday. Uh, Liverpool progressed in the Carabao Cup yesterday against uh, Leicester City. I thought the performance was great. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed the game. and um, I think generally those those kind of Carabao Cup domestic games can be a little bit tedious sometimes. It can just be... I don't know, I, I can kind of tune it out sometimes. Mm. But it felt like the kind of game where just a really enjoyable performance and all over the pitch, lots, lots of players kind of making claims for the shirt and, and yeah. things like that. And they... Uh, it was it was a proper second strings team, but I think watching the way in which we played, specifically the way in which we created chances, you would have thought that these lads had played together a lot more. I think that's what it is, isn't it? It's like when you think about previous League Cup games and stuff. It's normally at a time when 
we're desperate to concentrate on something else, so it's more of a distraction. And the lineups are such a mishmash of players who, like you say, they often look like strangers. And there was a little bit of that in the beginning of the game against Lask, but obviously the benefit of having that game last week, in this week, you saw it starting to improve, definitely. And there's been, obviously, a rotation of starting lineups over the last three games. But in the two um, midweek games, you started to see some partnerships develop. Like, obviously, there's a, a Go, uh, no, sorry, not Go, um, Gakpo and Jota have started getting together quite well, you notice, on, on the pitch. And obviously, Endo and Gravenberg both started both those games. And by the time against Leicester, they really started to look like they were understanding each other's roles within the system. And they were very much connected in a way that they probably weren't so much against Lask. So even within those things, there are bits to add to. And if you can be winning while you're still building up these things and showing improvement, then that's absolutely the best place to be. I think the thing as well is with the Carabao Cup, I think generally the, the team that ends up winning the Carabao Cup is just the team with the most depth. Um, like City have dominated it over the past over a few years, and it's it's for that reason really. Guardiola's always benefited from two squads, um, and I think this season potentially more than ever, Liverpool squad specifically in comparison to City, who are now already out. We have we have a proper second team, a, a full second team really, and. Fingers crossed, like touch wood while, while I'm saying this, but we're doing all right with injuries as well so far. I mean, there's, there's only really Thiago on the sidelines. I can't really yeah. think of anybody else off the top of my head. So well, I think I mean, going in... Back, uh, so who? Trent. That's true, yeah. yeah. I think Trent might be back this weekend, hopefully. But um, I think in terms of the Carabao Cup, it's it's usually a bit of a kind of tournament where I'm just kind of waiting for Liverpool to get knocked out, really. Mm. But this year, similar to um, when we won it, I think it's it could be a case of Liverpool just gradually progress through this tournament to potentially win this. Yeah, and when you look at the way the draws worked out as well, it's kind of in our favour because obviously, as you say, Man City's gone out. One of Man United and Newcastle are going out. One of Arsenal and West Ham are going out. And then you look around at the other draws and you think, well, Liverpool should be able to comfortably beat everyone else with their second team. Because as we just said, it's a very strong second team. So... You look at it and you think, okay, this could be fantastic. And then obviously, when you do have a deep squad, it's really important that you can go far in these competitions. Because I always think about if you're in the League Cup and you get to January and you're in the semi-finals, it always feels like you've been punished for doing well by having this extra game thrown in there. And obviously, at this year, you've got to factor in there's an AFCON and an Asian Cup. So we will be losing a couple of players. But even given all of that, like you say, as long as we are uh, maintain this kind of streak with injuries, we look well equipped to be able to cope with all of it. I mean, th- this is probably a good time for us to have a bit of a podcast dedicated to the second things, really. I think, obviously, we usually talk about the first team, lads, and we will do. You know, we've got Spurs chat coming up and things like that. A little bit about Nunes as well in there. But I do think we probably need to dedicate some time to the lads who are, who are trying to get on the pitch a bit more often, who are trying to impress in these lesser games. Because I think last night in particular, a lot of them did really shine and make it clean. Um, not really sure where to start, but I think potentially Endo is a good yes. starting place. I think a lot of people were impressed with his performance. Uh, I loved the fact that he uh, he wore a mouth guard for the match. I thought that was brilliant. And kind of summed up his role on the pitch as this yeah. kind of 
fighter who's gonna who's gonna put his foot in and as a result of that he potentially might get hit oh yeah i mean there he was in no doubt what his role was and like you say he's putting on his game face his war face and it just reinforces what i'm thinking like every time i'm watching endo on the pitch i'm not trying to compare him to the other midfielders in our team and what he does and doesn't do i'm looking at him and i'm squinting and i'm thinking of james milner because that's literally what he says. <laughs> and I really think when we're assessing Endo, it's important to remember that he is here to be Milner, do all of the Milner things. And it's the Milner 2019 to 2022 I'm thinking of really here, as opposed to what he was earlier in his Liverpool career. And he was doing that. Um, obviously, like you say, there's the aggressive nature of his um, tackling, but also his pressing. But the thing that I would like the most is he looked so, it was almost like he was a robot in as much as every time he got the ball, first thing he did is like, can I play it forward to a teammate? If the answer is yes, he does it immediately. If the answer is no, he'll scan to the next one. And it's like, that is always on. And we benefited from that. I mean, the Sobberslai's goal benefited from that because Endo recognised when Nunes made his little run, he drew three lesser defenders to him. And then the ball went to Endo. He kind of went and, and retrieved it. He noticed that Sobozai was still in space because of all those Leicester defenders hadn't filtered back in and he fired it straight into him. So he had time to touch and hit before the close of the space. And those are the little minute things that someone who's really attuned to their game can deliver. So if he's delivering that now, then I think it's good. Another thing we, I think we should mention with Endo, something I only found out this morning. Yesterday was basically when he got settled. Like his four kids had their first day of school yesterday. His, his family had only come over in the last week. So all of his previous performances probably should be put into that context as well, that it is very hard when you're trying to take a level up from where he was, obviously from Stuttgart to Liverpool in a country that he's not used to without his family. So. I do feel like from here on in, not only because of that mini breakthrough in this game, but also because of those factors, I do think we're going to start to see him improve. Yeah, I think it was it was usually his best performance so far, I felt, and specifically in the second half, I think we saw basically a, 40, a 45 minute highlight reel of exactly what the best version of Endo was going to look like at Anfield. You know, when, when he has his best game, his best performances, it will look exactly like it did in that final 45 minutes against Leicester in the sense that he'll be very industrious in terms of putting a foot in, probably give away a few fouls in the process. But when he's on it, even though he's he's not as quick as he once was, and at times he's so far looked a little bit slow at times, he, when he gets it right, he'll make up for that kind of lack of speed with his timing and, and his anticipation and his ability to read the play. Um, there was a few balls that he won where it was just inch-perfect timing. Um, very Fabinho to be honest at, at his peak as well who was similar in that sense and then when he's on the ball he's he's kind of like 50-50 in the sense of like progressive but also really simple as well like it, it's it's never it's never long passes it's never switches of play the ball very rarely leaves the floor to be honest with Endo but it does move forward a fair bit it's kind of cute passes around the corner when he can do it a lot of the time it's just lateral passes to someone who's a bit more creative but when you've got a team like Liverpool, who just pack full of attack and weapons everywhere, that that's all you need to be. You don't. Need, I mean, a team of endos 
and probably be a bit of a problem <laughs> because you're not because you're not you're not creating it now. But I think within the confines of this Liverpool side, you need it goes back to what we were saying pre-season. You need these players who are a bit more self-sacrificing, who are a bit yes. less spotlight. And I think Enzo Endo showcased his ability to be exactly that. And yeah, he just looked a lot more efficient on the ball. His timing was definitely on it. He looked like he maybe benefited from playing a couple of days ago against Lask. Now we've played a couple of days ago again against uh, Leicester. So if Liverpool can stay in this competition, they use these domestic cups for the second strings. They can get this kind of momentum going, and he can they can really make a claim when they are involved. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, if you look, obviously after the Spurs game, there's another Europa League game against Union Saint Gilloise, and then um, we've got. Brighton and then there's the international break, but then straight back after the break, there's another three midweeks in a row, four, well, three midweeks in a row. So he'll obviously be playing in the break because he's a captain of Japan at the moment. So he will get a chance to build up some real momentum. And I think if you look at all of the players over the last three games we've had, the way the cop's been able to rotate, we have started to begin to see the beginnings of the first 11, so you should speak, with a few variations for example i think there's maybe one or two spots available for spurs but other than that i think most people know what the team's going to be but he's been able to do that while still giving everybody plenty of game time there's no one who feels like they're on the outs they're not getting what they need and that can continue for at least the next month or so and then you get to a stage then where if we've done that and we're in a really good position then everyone's very much like okay well, we're on for winning something here. And then that mode clicks in and suddenly players aren't as concerned about their individual minutes and you're able to come together for this collective goal of really going for trophy or trophies. Well, another interesting thing from the game, aside from Endo, was the fact that Curtis Jones played as a right-back, uh, inverted full-back. To be honest, mate, I was fuming with myself <laughs> for not kind of pointing this out beforehand. Um I think I was looking in the mirror for the whole of the uh, half-time interval, just calling myself a fraud, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's funny. I did exactly the same thing. It was just like, of course, because we've probably said a few times about how Bicetic would suit the role or call. He could be one who would maybe be in the reserve because of the qualities he had. And then you think about it, it's like, yeah, Curtis has got all of those same qualities. And not only that, he loves being on the ball. So, of course, he's going to love a position where he gets to be able to be on the ball, but also be varied about how he picks it up, when he picks it up, where he picks it up. And just by doing that, causing the defence problems. But he's such in, he's in such a confident mode, such a confident space right now. Like, I loved the way Klopp described um, making, um, telling him he was going to be right back. He was like, yeah, you're going to be right back, but you're going to be captain. And it was like, I kind of gave him one carrot and then with the other. And it's like... So kind of like what we said last week, giving him challenges, giving him opportunities to rise to the occasion. That's what young players crave. And he very much is at the stage now where any challenge Klopp's given him, he's confident enough to be able to go out there and do it. And you saw that. You saw Curtisness. And again, sometimes when we watch Bicetich play it, there are a few times where you were worrying about he felt a bit indecisive. He wasn't quite sure what he was supposed to do. And to be fair, last probably did a better job of Leicester at attacking down that side. Whereas with Curtis, it was just like, no, I'm just going to do my thing. It's just good. It's all about protect, progress, recycle, and repeat. And you can do that from wherever he is on the pitch. Analyzing and- 
Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Uh, it was. It's one of. It's been one of the the more interesting things about these second string performances. Obviously, we had one against Lask uh, as well. Just kind of seeing that experiment play out. Klopp's testing three different players there now in that spot while Trent has been injured. Um, and yeah, Jones is, was just when I kind of seen it, I was I was very like you know why why didn't I think of this beforehand? Because if if I think I was personally a bit preoccupied with the thoughts of of Jones playing in the final third. I I like Jones in the final third. And one the, the two reasons for that a is I think he's a a really really brilliant presser um, over the past couple of months in terms of if Liverpool lose the ball, leading that press and immediately regaining it and starting the next attack. I think he's very good at that. And second is his ability to keep the ball in in that really pressurised area of the pitch in the final third, I think is very underrated. So I've been preoccupied with that as a reason as to why you don't really want him as a right-back. But I think if you think of what you need as that inverted full-back, he doesn't have to be a quarterback like Trent. No. But he needs, he needs enough mobility and enough of a... enough maybe experience as a wide player to play as a fullback at times, which we know he has experience as a wide player in the academy, and he is very mobile as well. So boxes tick there, very comfortable on the ball, uh, very technical, um, all that good stuff that you need to be an inverted fullback. Really, Curtis mm-hmm. Jones does kind of have. I mean, he's he's probably a, a bit more attack minded than a typical inverted fullback. Like if you think of the other lads who were doing it, like a, you know, as Zinchenko. Um, John Stones, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he is naturally accustomed to playing much higher up the field than they are. But in terms of his skill set, yeah. I think it, it it's definitely probably a fit, to be honest. And I think um, out of the three lads who attempted to do it, you've obviously got Jones, Bessetich and Gomez. Yeah, I think I... It's early days, but I think personally, I, I am I would be most comfortable if Jones was to do that in, in, mm-hmm. the, in the Premier League, for example. Um compared to the other lads, but it depends who we're playing as well. Yeah, ironically, after what we were saying before, I would actually rank um, Jones, Gomez, Bicetic in that order in terms of who I would want to see doing it. Because I do think the second time Gomez did it, he really did improve. And when he does it, he's able to kind of switch in back to some of the old high and wide fullback mode. And again, like I say, if you're able to switch between them comfortably, then you can cause the opposition problems. But... Like I say, at the moment, Curtis is in a mode where any job you give him, he can do it. And Klopp did intimate that he's mainly going to give him opportunities in his um, uh, favourite position, as he called it. But that doesn't mean to say it's not a massive tick in his box to know that he also has that in his back pocket. So if Klopp now has basically got an answer to the question, what do we do when Trent's not around? And the fact that we've been able to answer that question... So early on in this season, when when you think about how we ended last season and how central Trent was to all of that, not just the fact that he was getting the output, but also how central he was, how dominant he was of the ball, how everything kind of came from him. He was a catalyst for everything. We've taken him away and we've done the same thing and we still look good and we're still winning football games. So again, that's a massive tick in the box for everybody in the squad. So now that hopefully we can get Trent back for this big game at Spurs, everyone will feel really confident in themselves. And if he's not fit, then we don't have to rush him back either. 
Well, we are unbeaten now in, in 19 matches in all competitions, I think it is. Uh, and that's ever since we adopted the kind of new shape where the fullback inverts and then the midfield forms a bit of a box shape and all that stuff back three at times. Um, as I said, we are unbeaten with that. And a lot of that has stemmed from just Trent becoming this quarterback. But another player who's been integral to that has been Jones. Uh, a bit further up, just kind of allowing Liverpool to sustain pressure, probing the final third, regain the ball immediately if we lose it. As a result, you can see if you were counter-attacks, you've got more control because he never loses possession. Yeah. Um, so I think it's an interesting one. I sent a, a newsletter out yesterday on Curtis Jones, just kind of supporting him a bit, just backing him up again. Because I've done a few of them over the past couple of months, but it stems from social media, mate. Like whenever I go on uh, Twitter and that, like he, he he's becoming annoyingly the next uh, the next Naby or the next Henderson in the sense that he seems to split opinion. And some of the opinions I've seen on him, I've been a bit like. Where's that come from? Like that that's a that's a curious thing to say about him because that's not what I'm seeing. And uh, I think he's been he's being kind of criticized for potentially like goals and assists, really, and, and, and things like that. Whereas there's so much more to the game that he's offering yes. aside from that, even though he is doing that a bit as well. He's I mean he scored last night, but not not last night. Was it last night? No, he scored the other day. Against West Ham, got ruled out. But if that's on side, that's a great finish. That's a great goal. Uh, but yeah, I think he's been the subject of some um, strange criticism lately. Yeah, I mean, I always take online criticism with a pinch of salt, specifically because of who it is or what they're saying. Because, like, obviously there are agendas to a lot of people's wild ramblings. But then I think when it comes to the whole goals and assists thing, it kind of shows a fundamental misunderstanding of his role. Essentially, yeah. there are times when he's playing as an advanced player, when output is important, when goals and assists are important. And we saw that towards the end of last season. When, oh, look, he had a run of goals and assists. Whereas now, as we've said, he's already started to play differently. We've already seen him as a central midfield too, uh, alongside Sobersai at Wolves and a little bit against Bournemouth when Matt got sent off. So we've already seen him being given more defensive responsibility temporarily, and then last night, pretty much from the start of the game. So his role, his his, his role is changing. But then it's all those qualities you said before about his being able to protect the ball, to to be able to recycle, to have a decent um, passing percentage while still playing progressively, and to be able to progress the ball up the pitch as he's running. All of those things remind me of a former Liverpool midfielder who also got criticised for not scoring goals and assists. And yet when he left, we all missed him terribly. He <laughs> wore number five and his name is Genie Wijnaldum. Yeah. I had the feeling you were going to say him, to be honest, mate. You didn't even need to name him. No, no I didn't. Uh, that was for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's offering similar qualities. Um, it's a different, different tactical system, of course, but in terms of the dynamic for the team, I think it's I think it's comparable and you know if, if you look at earlier in the season when we did this podcast one of the recurring themes was Liverpool are too offensive Liverpool are top heavy and all that stuff and if you think of Liverpool on like a you know a pair of scales basically or like a seesaw or, or something like that Jones for me is is doing a lot in terms of being a bit of a counterweight for this team and, and allowing things to balance out a little bit and um, doing enough in terms of control to then create things in attack and. I keep going back to it, but 
his ability to retain the ball is largely unrivaled across the league, really, especially in terms of uh, offensive midfielders who are playing a bit higher up. Yeah. So far this season, he's attempted 185 passes in the Premier League and he's lost the ball 11 times. Um, you know, that's serious numbers. That's 84, uh, 94% uh, passing mm-hmm. accuracy for a player who's playing in the final third most of the time and in the wide areas and that's so. Yeah. He's offering lots of value as a counterweight for me. Um, and it's benefiting the team. And I think if you were to take him out and throw a more creative player in there, like a James Madison or a Bruno or De Bruyne or, you know, take your pick, really. Liverpool would probably be a lot more thrilling in terms of a team sheet. But when you're actually watching the game, we'd, we'd have a lot less control over proceedings as well. And you get done on on, on the break when that's, when that's the case and you suffer from uh, counter-attacks a lot more. Yeah, and like you say... Um, Curtis can match the most of the attacking output of a James Madison, but he has he so he has those instincts. He can do that, but he has the discipline to know when he has to curb those instincts to sacrifice his uh, offensive game for the good of the team. Once again, very genie. Yeah, proper. It, it reminds me of um, kind of like a, the glue guy team. I think he's a bit of like an unsung hero to an extent, you know, doing things that will never necessarily make the headlines. Mm-hmm. But in terms of making a team better, he's yeah. having a positive influence. And, you know, may- maybe it's one of them where he only gets recognition when he scores or he only gets recognition when he's not in the team because he's injured or something like that. But, yeah, I don't think he, he needs to become this scapegoat. I think there's, right. th- there's always this uh, clamour for somebody to be the kind of player who polarises opinion, but I just really don't want Jones to be that player, but it looks like it's going down that route. Well, um, I feel like he, if anyone's going to be able to deal with it, because he's kind of had to deal with people <clears throat> calling, or calling, what is it? They call it the Scouse tax, i.e. that's the only reason yeah, he's in the team. Yeah. So he's had to deal with that for long enough. He's, as I say, he's in a really confident place. He's a very strong character. He'll, he'll let that brush off. Essentially, the only opinion that matters is Jurgens, and you can tell that Jurgen is very pleased with what he's playing. Like that um, press conference I referenced, when someone asked him about Curtis Jones, check the smile that breaks out across Klopp's face as soon as he hears his name. Like that's that's the opinion that Klopp, uh, the Curtis needs. He can have as many people shouting him down on the internet, but if he's still in the team the next week, then he knows he's doing the right thing. Yeah, I mean, before we round up on on Leicester. Um, I mean, opportunity to speak about anybody who you think needs a shout out. I mean, other players, Kwanzaa <coughs> is definitely there. Gravenberg played. Ben Doak. Is there anyone specifically you want to focus on? Or um, I want to say a little thing on Ben Doak. Something that I mentioned in the week on the Amphra Rap, and I want to reiterate here. I feel like we, on, on should I say the senior players, can do a better job of learning his rhythms and knowing what he's wanting to do. Because you see Doke on the pitch, he's very hard on himself. And I mean, that's part of that attitude that's got him to the top at 17. But you do feel like sometimes some of the other guys can help him out, just in terms of knowing when he's going to fire it across. Because there were times when last night it, it was looked all the world that the only ball he could play was firing it across. And yet there was a couple of times when our fools were on their heels. So... I hope that those things can develop and I hope that he's not too hard on himself in the meantime. But obviously he hit the post, the crossbar. He felt like he probably should have scored. That would have made him feel a whole lot better. 
But that goal is coming. That assist is coming. You know it is. And like I say, I feel like the rest of the guys can help him out a little bit more in terms of getting him to that line. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Uh, I think to an extent, it's it's getting to a point really where if you're the number nine in the team, if you're maybe a Nunes or a Jota, when Doak faces up his man on the flanks there, it's almost a case of just going to stand on the back post. <laughs> and if you do that, you'll get a fair few few chances to score. Exactly. Um, I think if you think of the makeup of the system, I think it benefits Doak. I think he is an interesting player in terms of 1v1s and just being so difficult to manage when he's facing up his opposition fullback. Um, and if you think of the nature of Liverpool's system right now, it's it, it kind of creates that 1v1 for that player on the right. If you think of Jones cutting inside or Trent cutting inside or whatever, and then opening up that passing lane to Doe, who's occupying the right side on his own, really. He had a fair few opportunities where he faced up James Justin. And yeah. I think he... I think he could have done better, and I think he will expect himself to have done better. I think Justin did okay as well. Um, but a lot of the time, because he's right forward as well, he's just got to focus on getting to that byline and, you know, really hitting the ball with a lot of speed across the box. And sometimes it'll just go in, like, on goals, things like that. Um, yeah. But he's got the quality to do that, and the system will create those 1v1s for him. Liverpool just got to use them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's a, he's a player definitely to keep an eye on. But one player who... Who came on later in the game, um, and for that reason, maybe he's now a starter. Is Darwin Nunes? Mm. Um, he obviously scored a goal against uh, West Ham last week. Um, proper, uh, like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, I think is a good comparison for for his finish in terms of mm. how he how he navigated that that volley and how he put the ball in the back of the net five minutes after. Missing what many people would regard as a much easier chance. Much easier chance. It sums them up, doesn't it? It sums them up. It, it, it does in in every way, and <clears throat> even the one that he missed, like you can see how and why, because it was one of those where it just came to him instinctively. He thought, okay, he didn't look when he hit it because he'd already looked, and he just, it wasn't he didn't miss it by far, but obviously he knows he should have scored. But like you say, the reaction to it was there was no hesitation the next time he came and. He knows that he will continue to get chances. So he's and he's good enough to start taking them. And we're seeing that now. So if the misses aren't putting him off, then I really don't think that they should put putting anyone else off. They might again make great compilations for um opposing fan bases. But I mean, if he's still scoring every game, then that really doesn't matter. But you are right in terms of him being elevated now to starting status. And it's almost as if Klopp has kind of played him quite well over the course of the early part of the season because he had the hot start in pre-season and the hot start was goals. He wasn't really still doing the other bits, but he was starting to score the goals. And obviously the chances missed the big thing about him. So everyone's like, OK, he's scoring goals now. Maybe we're going to get him on a run. But Klopp was like, no, he's still not doing the other things yet. So yeah. we're going to hold him back. We're going to maybe get him a little bit more hungry and maybe get him a little bit angry. And then he had the Newcastle game in which it all clicked and he was the hero. And from there on in, we have started to see him do all of the things that we were hoping we would see. And now he's ready to go on a run of starts. And I think sometimes in management, you've got to kind of like almost purposefully hold someone back to progress them forward, if you see what I mean. And again, with the riches that we've got in our attack, Klopp can justifiably say, well, look, this guy also scored. 
this guy's also very good, so I want to play him. But now it's almost like Nunes is like, no, I've done everything you've asked. Now play me. And Klopp's like, okay, I'm going to play you. <laughs> Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, it, it is coming, mate. It is a matter of time. And we've been saying this for about a year now. Um, but it's nice to finally see the evidence to suggest that this kind of explosion that we've been tipping for so long feels like it's on the verge of happening now. It feels like he's kind of, he's finally um, bedded in. Uh, the system now benefits him. It now plays to his strengths. He's now no longer being a, a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. No. Um, so I, th- I think he's he's always had the potential there, but it's there's been teething issues. The system never never really benefited him and things like that. But he's always been a shot monster. He still is a shot monster. His conversion, I think, can improve. And it was it was top notch at Benfica in his final season. He yeah. just needs to get back to that level, really. But I think Linda's got a spot on in, in his pressure. I think he described him as like a a pure intuition player, and I think that's spot on. He he plays the game. Just on instinct, he's, he's a proper instinctual player and a natural when it comes to being a magnet for chances. And mm. um, it's it's very early days so far this season, but just for a bit of perspective, like if you look at his numbers so far this season, um, across Europe, again he's, he's right up there for for just getting on the end of shots in terms of shots per ninety. I think so far this season, he is second in the whole of Europe for shots per 90. Uh, I think he's averaging about 5.7 per 90, which is like, put it this way, I think Luis Suarez, his best season at Liverpool, where he scored something like 31, incredible. I think Suarez that season averaged about 5.5 per 90. Nunes currently on about 5.7 per 90. Obviously, that will come down probably over the course yeah. of the season. Um, and it's interesting to point out as well, I don't know if you've seen them at any point this season, Mo, but um, the lad who's top... <laughs> is top by an absolute mile. Um, Victor Boniface, who oh, is playing yes. up front for Xabi Alonso. Yeah, uh, Xabi Alonso seems to be getting the most out of him, but he's 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 shooting an absolutely ridiculous amount. Seven point six shots per ninety. He's averaging at the minute. It's just and, outrageous. And he's scoring quite a few as well. I think he's either joint in the top with Kane or or, or in the top three in the Bundesliga scorers. So it's working for him. But yeah, and again, it shows that those are the kind of metrics that you can kind of build around because if someone is good enough to be getting those shots off again and again and again and getting into positions to shoot again and again and again, that's always something you can work with because if the if you can kind of manage their calmness and control in front of goal, then those chances will start to flow. And we, I do think we are starting to see that with him. Again, Another underrated thing that we haven't potentially really remarked on is there's a couple of new, there's a couple more South Americans in there, and it was noticeable that obviously Mac plays him the assists against West Ham. And talking about his instincts, like Nunes hadn't started running when Mac played the ball, but which tells you that Mac knows if he yeah. plays the ball, then he's going to run, and that's what you want because as much as he can be instinctive. If everyone else can start to read those instincts, that's where the money lies. And uh, Luis Diaz, like him and Luis Diaz were walking off the pitch arm in arm uh, against West Ham. And they spend a lot of time together. You see it in some of the other videos. And again, 
you can see that he's starting to feel comfortable. He's starting to show a bit more of himself, his personality. And again, it's because he feels like he's starting to build these connections. And I feel like I'm a broken record when I talk about this kind of stuff, but you are beginning to see the evidence of it on the pitch as to why it's so important. Yeah, I mean, he's picked up the English language. He's improving on the defensive side as well. I think the intent has always been there. He's putting a foot in a little bit more now, I'd say. And in terms of like the the thought process behind the pressing, I think that's a that's a there now more than it ever has been uh, for him. I think he's been a little bit raw on that side of things. But yeah, he looks he looks really good, and he looks again like a, it's a matter of time before he kind of explodes, and um, he's establishing himself as a bit more of a starter now. I think he seems to be firmly ahead of Gakpo in a pecking order, I'd say. And I think based on the nature of this system and how it's supposed to work, I would agree with that. I think he's better suited to it. There's less of a need now for a false nine. Uh, even last night, to be honest, against Leicester, I felt Gakpo would have benefited from playing on the left with Jota as the, as the nine. But um, yeah, Nunes is one to keep an eye on, especially with two tricky games coming up. Um, Brighton, I think, will be an interesting one for Nunes in terms of like... You know, the Deserby build-up is, you know, you're not really getting much better than that. So yeah. to lead the press against that will be tricky. And if he if he plays Nunes against that team, that will be a big show of face. But we'll touch on that next week. But beforehand, we do have Spurs coming up. Yeah. Um, really interesting new dawn for Spurs, similar to, to us. Postacoglu doing really, really well. What have you made of them so far? Yeah, it's been great. And it's kind of how I was expecting in an optimistic reading of things to go. Because I do think Postacoglu is the kind of guy who can blow a real breath of fresh air throughout a whole football club, give everyone a lift. But it's not just about the smiles and the vibes. He has a tactical plan. And Spurs seem to have adapted to it, possibly a bit quicker than I anticipated. But I think part of that is because this is what they wanted to do. Like, if you think about where they've been for the last two or three years, their midfield has almost been the opposite of ours in as much as it's been all done defence and protection without a lot of flair. And now they're starting to be able to express themselves. Even the guys who are nominally starting as defensive midfielders, you know, um, Pape Sar and Yves Basuma, regularly finding themselves appearing late in the edge of the box, getting off shots, uh, providing key passes. So... It gives them all a bit of a fresh energy. I also knew that Destiny Doggy was going to come in and be very good because I watched him for Udinese and I knew that that was something that was going to improve them regardless. But uh, Mickey van der Ven's coming in and he has impressed me so far. I, again, he's been slightly better than I thought he would be. And Spurs have been there. All of the players who've come in have enhanced them. And some of the guys who are already there seem to have taken on a new responsibility, new confidence, I said Basuma, but also Skipper, Son as well. And now, obviously, Richarlison's been through a very public um, problems, both on and off the pitch, but he's now starting to look like maybe he can turn that corner. So they're a dangerous outfit. Um, whether they can maintain it for the whole season, I still have my doubts, but it's going to be a very tough game. Yeah, I am. I am actually really, really glad to see him doing well. To be honest, because I'm a big fan of Postecoglou, and I think not that long ago we did we either did an episode on it or we answered a question on it or something on on like if Klopp was to leave, who would you get? Yeah. Well, and I think you. we mentioned 
Postacoglu's name and that. And whenever his name was mentioned, like on Twitter and things like that, you'd get a lot of people kind of like turning their noses up at it a little bit. And you know, he's, he's at Celtic. Anyone can do well at Celtic. And but at the time, you know, one of the reasons we suggested him was because he, he he's a top coach, mate. And I and the way he speaks off the pitch as well, he he's, he is very Klopp. I think I think he even he reminds me of Klopp. Um, I think he's a proper people person. He's got that charisma about him. He's a proper natural leader as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he plays attacking football. And if you look at Spurs so far this season, you've just mentioned that the danger is there. Definitely a good word for them. Um, so far this season, they are taking the most shots of anybody else. Uh, they're averaging 19 per match, um, followed by Brighton and then Manchester City and then Liverpool. So, in terms of posing an attacking threat, they are definitely going to do that for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the defensive side, still a bit of work that they need to do. Um, they have faced more shots than Liverpool so far, even though Liverpool have had two red cards and have conceded more expected goals than Liverpool. Again, even though Liverpool have, have, have played with 10 men for, I think, about 90 minutes at the minute so far. Um, and it's early sample size, obviously, but I think Spurs at the minute uh, are a a work in progress, but maybe a bit more of an attacking team than anything else. And I think if they're going to go blow for blow with Liverpool, I think it'll be an entertaining game. I think there'll be goals in this, but I think Liverpool have the attacking weapons to maybe deliver the three points ahead of Spurs. I think Son Young-Min is obviously extremely threatening and one of the best finishes the game's seen, to be honest. But... I think aside from that, if you look at the, the attack as a um, as a as a unit, both teams, mm-hmm. I think Liverpool have got better individuals. To be honest, I, I agree. And again, we've got better depth as we mentioned previously. So even if the game is going against us and it's tight, then we look we can change the game from the bench with a multitude of options. So and there's a calmness about the team that <clears throat> we will continue to create chances no matter what game we're in. So you're right, Spurs. I mean, Spurs have literally scored at least two goals in every single Premier League game. So you can clearly see that their attack is working well. So our defence is going to have to be at its best. It's probably going to get its biggest test. The other thing I'm interested to see as well, it's one of the first times that we're going up against a team who are playing with an inverted fullback because Spurs do start to do it as well when you see Destiny Doggy, who will underlap Van der Ven occasionally. And Van der Ven has had some experience at left-back, so he's able to kind of cover the whole left half of the pitch, so to speak. But he's still young. And the thing, the reason why I thought he might take a while to get his feet into the Premier League is that he can be a little bit rash sometimes in terms of going in and trying to win the ball at times when he probably shouldn't. And we haven't seen that part of his game yet so far. If we are able to put them under pressure within that system, then maybe we will. I don't know. But it's going to be interesting to see how we play against it rather than just game planning for other teams playing against us. Yeah, well, it's we will get opportunities to press this team because of the way in which they, they build up through um, to the third of the pitch. But I think, crucially, they will also press us. And if you think of the game so far this season in which we've been pressed high up the pitch in our own defensive third, we haven't coped particularly well. Like our best performance by an absolute mile was against Villa. And Villa, for some reason, stood off us and allowed us to play in our own defensive third and then pressed us when we got to the middle third. Um, 
when when we get pressed higher, we encounter more issues, or we we have done so far at least. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, Trent is back in the team to help with that. But that's an interesting thing to watch. Just which team gets more joy out of pressing high up the pitch. Um, and in terms of Son, you mentioned Son being like the new captain and all that. I think he's, you know, massive fan of him. I think he's a brilliant player. And going back to the whole like finishing elements of of his game, he's, he is genuinely one of the best finishers the Premier League has seen. Um, and you can see that in his numbers as well. So since he came to England, I think this is no, this is this is since. 2017-18 so that's a solid sample size i think mm-hmm. in this sample size you have 559 shots he's taken in the premier league and from that he scored about 26 goals more than the average player would have so an overperformance of about 26 goals is finishing there uh that's outstanding you know yeah. for a bit of perspective on that over the same period in league competitions, Cristiano Ronaldo has scored exactly as expected. Exactly. So he's he's posted an expected goals excluding penalties of 96, 90, 96.6 in, the, in league competitions and he scored 97 goals. So Ronaldo, most people would think he's an amazing finisher. He's not. He's just really good at getting chances, gets loads of chances, and as a result, usually tends to score a lot. Sometimes, Salah. It's very, good, team. At, it's very like, good at having the team built around him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mo, Mo yeah. Salah over the same period has scored nine goals more than expected. Harry Kane has scored twenty-one goals more than expected. Son Heung-min, twenty-six goals more than expected. The only player. If I can find, and um, there might be one or two more to be fair, but the only player I can find who's overperformed by more than Son over the period that I've mentioned is any guesses, Mo? Erling Haaland? Nope, he hasn't played. I don't think he, Erling Haaland was regularly on the scene in 2017, was he? But Haaland oh. is one who is ridiculously overperformed so far. It's yeah. just uh, it's too early for Haaland to be judged like that, though. Okay. All right. Mm, I don't know. Maybe. Don't, where... I'll give you. The, I'll give you a clue. Don't overthink it. Okay. Well, then, what? Uh, uh, it's not Kane. It's not Salah. So then, Aguero. That was my third answer. The answer is Lionel Messi. Oh, okay, yeah, that was great. I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Lionel, Lionel Messi's overperformed over the same period by twenty-nine goals. Um, so, in addition to being the best footballer ever, he's the best finisher ever as well. Yeah, <laughs> surprise. But the thing with Son is, right, um, we know he's going to score. He always scores against Liverpool. And you know he's going to score. I'm sure Alisson feels the same. But that doesn't matter anymore, does it? Like, he'll score, we'll win 3-1. That's how it goes, isn't it? Well, I'll take a 3-1 now if you offer me it, to be fair. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, considering it's probably our biggest game so far, um, aside from maybe the Chelsea game, but we, you, you're only getting kicked off there. You don't really know where you stand. This is second against fourth as it stands. Yeah. So we will do predictions. So what are you saying? Um, okay, so as nice and neat as it would be to say 3-1 again, I think it's actually going to be 2-1, which is the same result that we've won at Spurs. I think four of the last five wins that they have been 2-1. 
So I think it's a safe bet to say that that will be the same again. I do think that we are good enough to keep Spurs to only one goal as opposed to two they scored everywhere else. But yeah, I think it's going to be a game where there's going to be a period where Spurs are going to be dominating and we're going to have to hold out. And you mentioned previously about the pressing high. If you think of all of our worst periods in games this season, so the beginning of Newcastle, the beginning of Bournemouth, the beginning of Wolves, okay, the beginning of games, all of those were situations where teams were pressing high and none of them really got their just rewards in terms of goals. They Maybe some of them got one, but none of them got two. So that's going to be what Spurs are trying to do, but we'll have to wait and see. I'll be honest. I've got I've got two two in me here. They've honest, but um, I do think Liverpool can can get a win here. I think specifically during the last half an hour, Liverpool seems to be coming on really strong. We've got proper runners in the team who don't seem to get tired, and the ones who do get tired, they're getting subbed out, and the lads who are coming on. Are just the same standard, the same level. So I think Virgil touched on that recently, uh, and I think Spurs in comparison, it's a little bit less the case. So yeah. I think Liverpool can get a win here, and I'm go- so I'm going to say three two. But I do have two all in my head. I do think it'll be a tough game, mm-hmm. and um, the way we're going into this, kind of trying to weigh up at what our level is and things like that, and, and where we stand and stuff. I, th- I think they will be the same. I think yeah. they they will go into the- and it's obviously at home as well. So it'll be a big game, interesting one to follow. And mm-hmm. next week we will we will assess it. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us, Mo. No problem. Fun as always. And we will see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.